Hello and welcome to Access Chat. I'm really delighted that we're joined today by Rob Sinclair and Tanya still on his Christmas break. We're recording some of these out of sequence a bit over Christmas period. Rob, um, if you've been in the accessibility world for decades like Deborah and I, is someone that we're welcoming back into the fold. He was formerly the Chief Accessibility Officer at Microsoft, probably the first CAO anywhere in the technology industry, maybe anywhere in the world. So now you're at Atlassian as Global Head of Accessibility. Can you tell us what tempted you back to the world of accessibility? We're glad to have you. And also a little bit about what Atlassian is as well, because I know who they are, but maybe our audience don't, because they're, they're providing technologies that are really pivotal for the development of technology, but people might not necessarily know about what Atlassian do. Yes, great. Thanks, Neil. Thanks, Deborah. It's really great to be here. Um, yeah, you're right. It's fun to be back. Um, so I I was uh, pretty burned out after 20 years at Microsoft. Um, so ready for a time for it was I was ready for a break. Um, had some family health issues too to to take care of, and so it was just the right time for me to to take a break. My original plan was to take a year off. Um, regroup, decompress, and then um, come back in. But um, and that turned into a five-year break, I guess, um, and included three startups and a master's degree um, and a lot of work on a new house that we had built <laughs> or, or had bought, actually, that needed a renovation. So, um, yeah, so I literally um, left Microsoft, and the next day I put on a tool belt and worked side-by-side side with the subcontractors on this house for – I did that for 18 months straight. Um, which was really great to get a break, um, you know, get out of the sort of the, the tech space and just use my hands for a while. Um, but in the process of doing that, you know, I was really also thinking about what I wanted to do next. And um, I remember, you know, one of the things I loved most about my time at Microsoft was working with AT vendors, um, small companies, you know, sometimes two or three people, oftentimes two or three people, um, who were building products, trying to find market fit, and most importantly, solve a really meaningful customer problem. Um, and what I what I regretted from that time is that we never really had a chance to take that that kind of a space broadly of working with small companies and helping them understand how to do um, accessibility. Now here, obviously not AT vendors, but I mean just small startups and companies in general. Um, and in this time, I was also interested in exploring some startup ideas that I had had that were unrelated to accessibility. Um, so I did one around clean water technologies, did one around um, wildlife conservation technology, and I did a consumer electronics device. Um, I helped with one that a friend was starting um, for people who were aging in place and living alone at home. So I went through three really rapid um, startup you know, fail fast scenarios. And um, it was a great learning experience. And along the way, I was introduced to Atlassian products. So I had I'd known about Atlassian a bit, and I had used Trello, but I had never used Jira or Confluence. And we were using those in a couple of these startups that I was in. And that's when I started really connecting the dots and thinking, you know, there's a massive opportunity to help that early stage set of companies that are just getting started um, they don't have time to like have a dedicated accessibility team or even hire someone specialized in that. Um, they're just trying to become viable. And it brought me back to some of the early thinking that, you know, the power of tool, good tooling and good infrastructure um, 
and support to help small organizations learn how to do accessibility and how to be inclusive, I believe could be transformational. And so I started looking at companies where I felt I could have an impact. And and I kept coming back to Atlassian, really impressed with their products, really impressed with the customer loyalty that they have and the stickiness because the tools are so unique and so powerful, but also recognizing that they really had um, a lot of opportunity for improvement in accessibility. And um, so that's that's uh, what pointed me in the direction of Atlassian. Um, and then I actually um, have a colleague that who had just joined Atlassian. And so um, it was great. It was great. So uh, I'm super happy to be here. I've been here a year now. Um, and um, we are in our own startup phase of really completely rethinking and rebooting the approach to accessibility at the company. Sorry, it was a very long answer. Hope that was all right. <laughs> it, it's a long answer because you have a really esteemed career. Um, and I also want to, you know, you brought up the that you were supporting the small AT community. And um, that was something that I knew you for, Rob. I knew you for fighting for our community. You fought for the AT. And, and when you left, um, we felt you leaving. We could feel it as an industry. And um, I am not speaking out of turn. I imagine there are so many AT providers that you could ask this question. They would say when Rob left, um, you know, but at the same time, you also co-founded IAAP. And I remember at the time when you were talking about it and Microsoft was going to, God bless Microsoft, getting behind it. There was a lot of controversy and there were a lot of people trying to stop it. I remember writing a blog about it going, what guys, shouldn't we be doing this? So what you did for our industry, Rob, that's why Neil and I are thrilled you're back and so many others, because you you laid down a foundation for us that was so powerful. And obviously you still care about that because one thing that I'm seeing is that you have organizations supporting people with disabilities and they like my company, 90% of my team have disabilities. We're very proud of that. But the reality is often we aren't accessible ourselves in the disability community. So one thing we're doing at Billion Strong is we want to help the organizations of persons with disabilities be accessible themselves. And so, and we want to make sure that we are supporting small vendors like AT. I mean, there's just so many powerful things happening. And now that you are once again, sitting at the helm of a very large technology company that I also am familiar. I wasn't familiar with the name Alassian. I was familiar with the tools, and right. which is interesting and powerful. I also can't help but love that it was started by you know two young men that are really interested in making a real difference in the world. And so I'm fascinating, fascinated with what Alassian's doing because you are a software, your workforce productivity tools, right? That's what I consider the tools. That's a good way to summarize it. That's right. That's that's the way I think of it. And so think about how we can embed the accessibility into really truly into the workforce productivity, the innovation, the communities really coming together. That really excites me, especially as somebody that I know. I know your background. I know your leadership. Uh, as Rob, as Neil was saying, I think you were the first chief accessibility officer ever 
And that is exciting. That's exciting because it doesn't matter about the title. What matters is accessibility. <laughs> accessibility really, really is important. So right. I was really excited to see that you were back. I was thrilled to see you were back. You're one of the few people that when you left the industry, we felt you leave the industry, Rob, which is amazing. You're just one person, but we felt it. We felt it. So we are thrilled you're back. Just thrilled you're back. But what, what, what do you hope to accomplish now? You've already accomplished so much. Your legacy is so powerful. And I think many, many people don't know your legacy, Rob. And I personally, I'm going to make sure that they more people know your legacy, but it's it's very powerful. So where do you go now? Well, well, that's very sweet. Thanks. I mean, I really appreciate that, but I think it's also really important to recognize that we did an amazing, we did a lot of amazing things in those 20 years. But I think it's really because of the power of the team. Um, I had an amazing team of people who were working with me. I mean, you mentioned the AT Partner Program and the community. Yeah, I mean, we started working with them and realizing that they had they didn't have a voice. Right. Um, you know, we had these tiny little companies trying to influence IBM and Microsoft and Adobe, and I mean, uh-huh. trying to make you know they're basically having to hack the operating system and applications to try to suck information out of them and make them accessible. And so we took on some really daunting challenges of how do we now formalize the technology and make that so they can extract that information in a secure way. But I think more importantly is when Gary Moulton actually, he said, you know, what we need to do is we need to rethink the way we work with these companies and try to bring them into the fold and give them a voice. And I mean, he's the guy who, I mean, he was the um, trailblazer there that actually defined the de facto AT partner program in the industry. And it was hugely transformational. Um, We, you know, we did so. I'm really proud of a lot of the work we did there. I think um, we we changed the way we worked with ATE vendors. We changed the way we engaged with disability community and advocacy organizations. Um, I still remember this really funny moment when um, people thought I was insane because we were getting competing requirements or priorities, not requirements, but from the different blindness organizations and in the U.S. So the three big ones. And so I said, you know. They, all of their requirements are valid, but they're all giving us different priorities. And so we really need to try to get one agreement on one set of priorities so we can start working down the list. And so we brought them all into a room and had one meeting together. And um, someone mm-hmm. at the beginning of the meeting, when they were introducing themselves, they said, well, you're either brilliant or insane, because I don't think you understand that, you know, we all have slightly different perspectives. And so we've never been in the room together to have this kind of a conversation. And um, so I said, well, I'm probably insane, but we'll, we'll, let, we'll decide that later. But it turned out to really help because it helped the organizations themselves also understand like what input we were receiving. And so it started to change the dialogue within the advocacy organizations as well, because we could then start to have one unified view of what's the most important problem to go after first. And so, you know, and similarly with IAAP, the, you know, I was meeting with organizations and in private sector and public sector around the world. And we kept hearing this refrain that we don't know where to find people who know what to do. We hire someone to do accessibility. 
Um, we spend $150,000. We launch our updated website and three months later, we're being sued because it's still not accessible. And they said, so how do you, like, who, where are the people that actually know how to do this? And, you know, so it was that whole root cause analysis of, well, there is no formal training. Everyone is self-taught. Everyone is doing their best, but there's no way to determine as someone who myself was self-taught, right. do I, have I actually missed something? There's no way to know. And so that's why we started to formulate this idea of maybe we should have certifications so that people can actually figure out, like, have they covered the bases? Do they actually understand the full range of accessibility or are there other areas they should be learning more? So, yeah, I mean, it's, it was a great, it was a great first phase um, for my career. I'm really proud of the work that our teams did and my teams did. Um, I think now me, what I'm looking for now is when I was taking that break, I really wanted to find a new place where there's a really complex problem that needs to be solved. That's systemic um, that will also provide you know a new foundation for growth and innovation. And that last thing to mission is to empower um, I never can remember the exact words, but it's something like unleash the potential of every team, which, of right. course, when I saw that, I was like, OK, that's exactly what I'm trying to do. Um, and that's what accessibility is trying to do. And so there's a natural fit there. Um, the leadership is truly they understand that they value it and, and they believe in it. And so, um, you know, I think that's one of the great things about picking uh, when you're out looking for a new role, if you have the opportunity to pick a company and an opportunity that aligns with where you want to go, that's of course ideal. So I was really fortunate to find that. Um, and so my big next step is to really think holistically, not just about technology, but um, the full range of DEI perspectives, the way we think about hiring and recruiting um, and supporting employees and team environments. Um, how do we give them great tools to make their work really um, seamless and allow them to do their best work? Um, and then also, um, I'm really attracted to the ecosystem that's building solutions on top of Atlassian products. We have tens of thousands of, of additional extensions or products built on top of ours. So it's not even just Atlassian, it's the entire marketplace of solutions um, that um, we need to go tackle. So it's a daunting challenge, which is exactly what I want. Yeah. Um, because I think if we can figure out how to solve this problem here, it might provide a, a way for the industry um, at large to, you know, gain some new insights of how we can maybe go after the industry-wide problem. Yeah. And, and I just want to, before we leave the history, I just want to point out a couple of other things. Um, I started my company, Tech Access, TEC Access, in 2000. And I did not know what I was doing like so many of us. I still don't most of the time, but I um, I remember when we were going to build websites at the time and then I tripped across this section 508 thing and I thought, oh, and uh, a man actually um, who was blind looked at my website because I wanted to employ people with disabilities. That was what I really wanted to do. And he looked at the website and he said, wow, um, yeah, I'm blind, Deborah. I use a screen reader, and your your website is 100% inaccessible to me. I was like, "What? What? What do you What do you mean?" Yeah. So yeah. So then what I did, Rob, was I actually went out and started educating myself, and I went to the training courses that y'all had at Microsoft, and mm. I taught me and my team 
uh, accessibility with your courses. And then we also shifted into the courses IBM was doing. But I also wanted to say that as I traveled all around the world, Microsoft was always there. I remember being in Egypt, for example, I was doing a a session in Cairo. It wasn't you. It was two gentlemen that worked for um, Microsoft from Egypt and they came on stage and the crowd was ripping them apart. And at one point it got so hostile that I stopped and I said, "Um, Microsoft right now is the only corporation that's brave enough to come in here and take this beating. So can we acknowledge that they're here and we appreciate it. But at the time, there was no one else in the room. Now we yeah. see, thank you, Neil, Atos in the room. And we see, thank you, Rob, Atlassian in the room. We see Google, Google's so in the room. But at the time, uh, that's all that we were seeing. So I just wanted yeah. to acknowledge that little bit of history as well and let you know that we're grateful. I'm grateful. My team has been very grateful for the work that you and your team did. So, and this is how we move things forward. So, um, but I do have a question really for you and Neil, because at last, and like you said, it's a huge, to me, you know, you, you're how these tools help us be more productive, more innovative, more creative. And you have ATOS, which is a system integrator. You're billion dollar companies. How do we move forward in these new times? I mean, and, and like you said, Rob, how can we leave out these major parts of the community and think that we are going to be successful? So that would be a question that I would be curious from both of you as um, leaders. So I'll turn it over to you first, Rob. Yeah, great. Thanks for the softball question. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You'll go first. (laughs) Yeah, no, I mean, I think it's um, obviously it it is a a super important question. I mean, I think for me, there's a couple of maybe dimensions of that. One is, you know, it was one thing that was fun about for me to come back in. So I took that four to five year break was to actually see where things had moved, what had changed, what had not changed. Um, but also just getting the opportunity to restart like a new program from scratch also allowed me to benefit from all the work that we collectively have done over the last 20 or 30 years. And so there were a lot of new building blocks in place. Um, and so I think one thing for me to, in, to answer that question is, I don't think we can just rely on the things that are working fairly well um, in the industry. I think we also need to constantly be thinking about, are there better ways to solve the problem or the more impactful ways to do that? Um, in many ways, I am absolutely thrilled. There's so much better tools. There's better training and education. Um, we have IAAP. We have Teach Access. We have um now procure access, there's all these different initiatives and, and activities that are up and running that help us not only um, as industry, but also you know new students coming out of school, coming out hopefully with some idea of what accessibility is. Um, so I think that's part of the, one of the fundamental issues, I think, to your question is, how do we continue to enrich the pipeline of people? Because without people, nothing happens. And so because there's, it's not just engineers, as we've talked about, I think many times, it's everyone involved in every aspect of society and business and education and the workplace. Um, and so how do we continue to build inclusion and um, acceptance and embracing and, um, you know, accessibility into society is a completely non-trivial problem. 
And I think tech companies have a huge responsibility in helping to facilitate that in the part of the world that they touch with their investments, um, with their products and with their services. And so for me, I think that's the biggest issue is I can, I, I always take that holistic view though. I always look broadly at what are the systemic issues that still need to be solved um, if there's solutions in place, I am the first person to leverage them. I don't feel the need to reinvent the wheel. Um, but I still see a lot of one of the big problems. I'll jump to that is one of the biggest challenges I still see is that it's still really hard to motivate accessibility in most investments in most organizations today. Um, culturally, Atlassian is very amenable to that and it's a great fit. So I'm super excited to be here. Um, and doing the work that I'm doing here at Atlassian, because I think there's a real opportunity to to have that latitude to think a little bit differently about how to approach it. But in the end, you know, one even one company still can't change the world. And so I still am really interested in how do we change the way accessibility is perceived, understood, and implemented in every organization. Um, and that goes to a lot of the things we've all talked about many times, which is it's not just about people with disabilities, although that's obviously incredibly essential. That's the, the number one opportunity and the most important. But I think for organizations to understand that it's also about more innovation, you know, better products, more usable products, more, more um, uh, I forgot my word, um, but a business model and a business that's more resilient, that's the word, I think it's just helpful for people to understand that it's not about a small segment of the audience. It's about every single person benefiting. And so I think continuing to think about how do we anchor this and position it is still like one of the biggest things I always consider is, uh, and I think every large company like Atos or Atlassian, I think we have an important role to play. Sorry for that long answer. Neil, um, I'm going to toss over to you. Thank you. Um, and we it's complicated, though. So yeah. it is a long answer. So luckily, Neil's going to solve it all for us right now. Go. I, thank goodness. Yay. Um, <laughs> yeah. Maybe. Um, so so look, I, I, I agree with you on the systems approach. And I think that, that I, I'm, I've always been a big fan of systems thinking. And, and I'm the world's worst technical accessibility person, right? I'm a historian. Uh, an art student. I did I did an MBA in sort of operations management, so I'm really interested in how we get the systems to work and and, and so on, and how we can build the skills. And, and and like you say, you've got teacher access, you've got all of the you know the IAAP certifications. We did apprenticeships in the UK, which yes. um, which basically got the government to recognise accessibility as an occupation, and is filtering through. As a result of that, and now we're trying to get that into Germany and Spain and other countries. Um, and in the UK, it's funded, so so people get subsidised accessibility education, and they get a rounded education in a way that I never did. You know, I played around with tech for 15, 20 years. So I mean, when I first you know, my first entry into assistive technology, because I was first not an accessibility person, I was an assistive technology person. All right. I worked for one of those small companies. When I joined them, there were 20 people. When I left, there were 120. And we were doing speech recognition systems and providing assistive tech for people. And we used to play around with tech. And, and yeah, it was important for us to come and meet with 
you know, big companies like Microsoft to understand how we could integrate stuff and work with the operating system. I think things have changed markedly over the last decade or so. Firstly, there was far more inbuilt assistive tech in all of the major platforms that people use in their day-to-day lives now. You know, whether that be your mobile phone on Android or iOS or your, you know, your Windows device, there's so much AT built in. At the same time, there's still a need for working with the specialist vendors that go beyond the the sort of features that are built into the the OS. So, so I think that collaboration is key, which is why I'm really interested that you landed at Atlassian because Atlassian is essentially an organisation that helps organise and collaboration. Right. And and. and it's the sort of the guts behind the product creation and updating product lifecycle process um, and the creativity process for so many organizations. So it's not just the potential of making Atlassian products accessible. From my point of view, what I'm hoping for is that you'll be building in more accessibility into the workflows. It's like with the work that's yes. going on at the moment with WordPress, for example, um, where right. if you fix WordPress and, and fix the workflow for WordPress, you fix hundreds of millions of websites around the world. Exactly. You know, it, it's it's dealing with stuff at source. So that's super interesting for me that you, you landed there. But it's also part of a broader trend where we're seeing so many more companies bringing on accessibility uh, people now and valuing it. Um, I think it was really interesting where we saw Twitter do what they did to their accessibility team and all the rest of the teams. But what was gratifying to me was it wasn't just the the Microsofts and the IBMs of the world that were then coming forward and saying, hey, there are jobs. There were loads of companies saying, oh, well, we've got roles. Um, exactly. A couple of years before, you wouldn't have dreamt that they would be um, you know, doing accessibility, let alone having the investment and the budget to say that you've got open roles because it's been a journey to get to the point where I've built my team and get the latitude yeah. to hire. You know, it, even in multi-billion pound dollar euro companies, each department has their own budgets. And, and you know, you, you, people think that these large organisations have bottomless pits of money to go and hire people. Right. It's not like that. You know, always have to have a business case. So the fact that people have succeeded in convincing the management in these companies that accessibility is uh, a viable and valid thing is really important and gratifying. And I think that definitely we need to find ways to systematize accessibility more, whether that be in how we create products and the workflows like, and the collaborations that Atlassian helps with, or whether that be through education initiatives and the certifications from IAAP and aligning them with other um, things like apprenticeships and degrees and so on. We need a sort of multi-pronged approach to make all of this work because it is, it's, it's, it's a complex thing. You're spinning plates the whole time. And I think it's probably why I love the career so much as an ADHD I can flip from one thing to the next Exactly. It's always something shiny to keep me interested. So, so I I think that 
that it is taking that sort of systems view. So we're going to solve stuff. And, and, and what we've done within our my own organization is we've aligned how we deliver accessibility with how we deliver um, decarbonization and sustainability. So we're taking the same models, which we exclusion like pollution because it's a negative externality of the production process. Mm. Right. Um, and we, like that. we have a way of doing this, right? So, you know, we have systems, we have processes, we're really good at this, we're CDPA rated and DJSI top in our field and so on. So it's baked into the company culture. Now, not every company is going to have that same sustainability culture, but you can bet that they're all building it right now because it's a pressing business need. So right. as they're building those structures, actually, you know, disability inclusion is part of the UN and SDGs. It's already there. It's making people aware of it. And I think that that half of what keeps Deborah and I on this week after week, and Antonio generally too, for the last eight years, is that we know that we need to keep talking about it even if we're sick of the sound of our own voices, and my wife's certainly sick of the sound of my voice, especially after a couple of weeks off, that, um, that we, we just continue to push that message home and push the message about quality and about um, that this is doable. This is actually doable um, if we put business frameworks around it and we don't go against the flow. So, so how do you... Where do you see the flow going? What What's the flow in Atlassian that will get you to where you need to be? Um, I think, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, I think what's interesting is so far what I've been doing is we've, we've really been just starting to rethink the approach of the company. Um, so I've been building the, so I've, I'm doing a central team, and then I'm actually having, uh, I built three platforms. So we have three major platforms in the company. So we're investing in the platforms, we're investing in the central team, we're building, you know, all the normal things, right? Training, we're looking at how do we build, um, how do we leverage the employee resource groups? We're, you know, we're looking at all the systems across the company. I think what's more, maybe more to your point around the flow is that um, I've spent a lot of time just, getting a perspective from, you know, the leadership and the, and I mean that broadly, like leaders across the company of how do they think about this um, and how do they understand it? And of course, you know, a lot of people have, there's a lot of different views. And so really just trying to get as much as possible, a company of 12,000 people right now um, to have a unified view of what we're talking about and why it's meaningful and impactful is kind of where I've been so far. It's like, that's the bulk of the cultural investment I've been making is how do we make sure that people understand that this is already a natural element of the company culture, which has been delightful to, to validate over a year is that like what I perceived the company to be and what it said it was culturally is actually what it really tries to do on a day-to-day -day basis. Right. So really living up to that culture. And I think, more broadly, I think the flow is that is what you said. I think there's a massive opportunity to not only use the products, but the company's approach to rethink or not rethink, but I mean, just think about how do we really integrate this into the way companies and organizations work? Um, how do we make accessibility not just a feature of a product, but 
an outcome or a result of using the workflows and the process and the products and the mindset that's woven into what we deliver. Um, and so I think that's maybe a little too terse, but that's, I think, how I think about the flow is it's, we're at the beginning. There's really fantastic support. In fact, it's um, been really surprising to see how support, how supportive the executives have been and that, you know, the entire company. Um, there's a real appetite to do it. It's really a question of how do we go do this in a way that is um, scalable and can be done at velocity, um, which is, of course, the goal, right? If you if you ask any team anywhere in the world to, to do accessibility, but somehow sacrifice their core business objective, right. you're in a very difficult spot. And it also means you're, I think, I tend to believe that means you have, you're not taking the right approach because I've, I know that I've seen the three of you, you know, quote all the stats around how accessibility actually improves business results and outcomes. So I think if, if you're doing something that's slowing the business down or hindering its own business objectives, I'm assuming they're appropriate objectives, um, then I think you're somehow not aligned and you're not in the flow of the company. So that's a, that's where I always start is really understand the company strategy, the company culture, um, and then think about how do you augment that with accessibility or um, vice versa. So did that answer your question, Neil, or did I, did I oh. miss your question? No, I think I think it, I think it absolutely does. Uh, and you know, every company is going to have a different culture, uh, and, and so how you align. And, and the advice that I give when we're advising other companies is, we need to understand your company culture. What are the things that make that your organization tick before we decide what the accessibility priorities will be for your organization? You know, there's a baseline. But but also it has to align with the culture because otherwise That's right. you, you, you're going to burn people out. You're either going to sort of be constantly at loggerheads with the rest of the organization or people are just going to expend all of their energy and there are too few good accessibility people for them That's to right. waste their lives fighting. So so we've always got to look for the, the path that works within an organization. So I'm... I'm glad you're taking that approach. Uh, I know we're pretty much near the end of our allotted time. Um, just curious, right? There's a lot of really big new technology coming to the fore at the moment. You know, we've we've talked about the metaverse and so on, pros and cons of that. But also, I think in the last few weeks, we've seen you know, Chat GPT really explode in people's consciousness. No, people have been working on it for a long time, but but it again with all new tech, it's a double-edged sword. But it has real potential for sort of cognitive accessibility and and conversational computing. Do you think that this is something that that people will naturally build accessibility into, or are thinking about accessibility, or do you think this is something where we need to be going and sort of knocking on doors? Unfortunately, I think um, it's not. It won't happen automatically. I, I think we have to. It's another case where, I mean, it's a. It's truly a new horizon. You know, the the state that we're at around artificial intelligence and general machine learning. I mean, it it will be hugely transformational, as everyone knows. Um, but 
that therefore makes it extremely exciting and extremely frightening at the same time. <laughs> and I think, you know, we've seen so many cases where, um, like, how many of these chat agents have been launched and, and then people immediately, like, seek out ways to break them and make them say inappropriate things. And <laughs> some days I just look at the human, the, the nature of humans and just go, I don't know, <laughs> like, why? Um, but so I think, I think it actually will be hugely beneficial for accessibility, um, AI in general, um, when applied appropriately. And what I think that means is that like every other technology we've all worked on in the last 30 years, it has to be, there has to be some human intervention during the creation and deployment and usage of that technology to make sure it's used in an appropriate way. And what I mean by that is there has to be work done to ensure in the case of AI and machine learning that the right data is being fed into the system to as much as possible avoid, you know, integrate or building it in a way that has skewed perspectives around the population and around people you know, and it, as we all know, there's a very um, high possibility of introducing bias through the data set that's chosen. And this is not a problem that's specific to accessibility. It's in general building these models. Um, it's very easy to unintentionally um, feed data in that creates biases. And so that's one of the huge risks. And one thing that I'm really happy to see is that there, this is an active conversation that's happening. Um, this is like, I'm not the first person saying this. Um, so it's understood. And I, that gives me hope that we can actually, as an industry, solve that problem. But I think the other thing is we also, like always, when deploying these technologies, they need to be done carefully, especially in the early days, to consider what is the impact on people with disabilities and not even people with disabilities, but just the different work styles and the different way people consume information. Right. I agree with you, Neil. I think, especially for cognitive, this could be hugely transformational, and I think it will be. But I suspect there's going to be some bumps along the road um, and some missteps and misfires as things are launched and then discovered, ah, like we didn't understand this implication at the time. Right. Um, then they'll be pulled back, modified, <laughs> relaunched. And I think as long as we're doing that intentionally as much as possible and looking forward and trying to be proactive, I think we can reduce the pain um, of getting from here to the, the really positive outcomes that I think do lie ahead. Excellent. Thank you so much, Rob. It's been a real pleasure having you on the, on the show. Uh, I, I also need to thank my ClearText for keeping us captioned and also for 2023, thank Amazon. Because supporting us for 2023 so thank you amazon for um for your allyship so thank you everyone um really great chatting with you look forward to continuing the discussion on twitter thank you rob, thank you, rob. thanks deborah thanks neil thanks everyone happy new year